Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are continuing our miniseries Denny for Two, covering every film directed by Denny Villeneuve leading up to Dune. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good, Emmett. How are you? I am doing well as well, even though we have... Like, I feel like our whole brand is that we're a breezy, funny, happy show that talks, like, kind of in an offhand way about movies. <laughs> and this is a film that is fully, like, fully, uh, <laughs> we've, like, run up against in a way that I feel like we've never fully, <laughs> like, run smack into a movie like this before. <laughs> so I'm worried. I'm worried about how our yeah. energy and this movie's energy are going <laughs> yeah. to vibe. But I am excited because today we're honored to have a special guest. He's an actor, yes. uh, a writer, a painter of small figurines. Please welcome Isaac Beckner. Woo! Hello. Oh, God. Isaac, it's me. how are you doing? I'm fantastic. So happy to be back. Oh, good Lord. Isaac is being smacked by a small animal. Yeah. At <laughs> the moment. <sighs> That's my dog. She's the best thing in the world. Thanks for being here, Isaac. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about this movie that's very, very fun. Isaac is one of the funniest people I know, which is why we've gotten him for the two funniest movies we've ever covered here on the podcast. Oh, no. Was, was I supposed to watch another one? You said two. I mean, this and what did we watch before? The Wolverine. The Wolverine. Oh, yeah. Which was kind of funny. Yeah, The Wolverine is funny in that it's like, wow, this is all pretty bad. Let's go around the room. Which would you rather watch again right now? The Wolverine or Polytechnic? Um, probably the Wolverine. But wait, no, scratch that. Polytechnic just because it's significantly shorter. I will say that. If there's something I liked about this movie, it's that it is only an hour and ten minutes. It's like an hour shorter, at least, than the Wolverine. Yeah. Wolverine's what, 245? <laughs> I think it's like 220. It's, it's pretty pretty ridiculous. I would rather watch Wolverine. <laughs> that movie is upsetting, but not as upsetting as this movie was. You do at least get to see Hugh Jackman's butt in that one. I yeah, think. right. Uh, which which movie would you rather watch again right now, Wayne? Honestly, right now, I'd rather watch Polytechnic just because it's an hour shorter. Damn, savage. I like the Wolverine more than I like this movie, mm -hmm. to be clear. Isaac, had you ever seen this movie before no um in fact when wade reached out to me about talking about this movie with you guys uh that was the first i'd have actually ever heard of it have you seen other denny villeneuve films the thing is i don't know if i have it, the most popular ones are sicario arrival and blade runner 2049 oh okay yeah i did see arrival well cool that arrival was really really good I don't know how much hand he plays in like the camera work of some things, but uh, I what I do remember about Arrival it has some had some really like interesting shots and stuff, and mm -hmm. that's essentially the uh, case with uh, this movie as well. There's a lot of really uh, cool camera work that's done in this movie uh, that I definitely appreciated. Yeah, Jay was talking on the August 32nd episode that. They thought Denny is like a very visual director, which I could definitely see that maybe he's like coming at a lot of these movies from like the shots and the images first. All right. So Bumtober is coming. Boop, 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 boop. It's Bumtober. Send Woo! your series suggestions yeah. to cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Ask guests if they have a suggestion. Oh, that was a suggestion for me to ask you, Isaac, <laughs> if you have a suggestion. Monster House. No. <laughs> yes. It's not a series. I think we have holes on the list, so we can put Monster House on the list, too. Oh, my gosh. Okay, if we start opening this up to just doing popular movies, we'll never be done. <laughs> If the people vote for us to just cover one movie, then we've lucked out. You know? You're not wrong. So yes, please send us any and all suggestions. 
Especially appreciated would be suggestions other than for the entire Barbie franchise, because let me just tell you, you don't you don't want us to do it. I promise you, you don't. Please don't make There's it. like 12 of them. No, there's way more than that. Oh, <laughs> Isaac, wow. There's like 36 of them. Whoa. <laughs> Damn. So, That's more than the Land Before Time. Oh, now Land Before Time, we could get to that. We could We could do that. Number four time would be hot. Someone today requested Ghibli. Oh, ooh, yeah, mm. that has that would have my vote. I would be down for that. It's a long one, but it I is guess good. it's the people's vote, and that's the whole point of this thing, I suppose. Yes, Bumtober, email them in. Woo! We want your opinion. We want to be more engaged with you, the audience. You are the people we do this for, even though sometimes it seems like it might be otherwise. <laughs> And truly, let me just take this moment to you, dear listener, to apologize if you watched the film this week with us. Mm. Yeah, that's all I've got to say. Wade, what are the very brief stats on this film? Ah, yes. Today, we are discussing the movie Polytechnic, which was directed by Denis Villeneuve, released February 6, 2009. So, to catch you up here, Isaac, Denis directed two critically acclaimed low-budget indies in 1998 and 2000. Uh, And they both won Best Picture at the Canadian Screen Awards, which is like Mm. the Canadian Oscars. So it was like a big deal in Canada, but he wasn't happy with them. And after the second one came out, he said that he was going to take a sabbatical. And he said, I'll come back when I can make a movie I'm proud of. Mm. And he took the next nine years off and was a stay-at-home dad, raising his three kids, and came back with this movie. We'll talk a little bit more about what what got him out of retirement in the behind-the-scenes drama. But this is his return to cinemas after nine years. Uh, and he wrote this along with Jacques Davids, who was a Canadian TV writer. And the score is by Benoit Charest, who did the music for The Triplets of Belleville, which traumatized me as a child. What's The Triplets of Belleville? It's just sort of like... I don't think it's supposed to be creepy, but it has a very creepy animation style. It's a hand-animated movie, but it's not for kids. But it was nominated for Best Animated Picture Oscar when I was a kid, and so I ended up seeing it, and it like truly haunted me for years and years and years. Damn. It's a French movie. I'm looking at the uh, images of it now. Yeah, it's pretty freaky looking. <laughs> it is disturbing. It's got 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. People liked it. I feel like maybe as an adult I would like it, but I honestly am not sure if I could like confront it. Emmett, so for the people who have not seen the movie, Polytechnic, yes. Which, I forgot to mention, runs an hour and 17 minutes. So, five-star masterpiece. (laughs) How would you explain to them what happens in the movie? So, this is a movie that predominantly just depicts a school shooting. A specific school shooting, the 1989 Ecole Polytechnique um, one. But then, I would say, like, at least 70% of the film is, like in the school while that's happening basically in real time. Mm-hmm. Although with some classic Denis Villeneuve disorient, like time disorientation so that you like follow one character and then go back in time and follow another character through the same amount of time. Then also deals a little bit with two of the survivors dealing with it in their life afterward. Yes. But I yeah. like I can't stress how much like the predominant part of the movie is just the 15 minutes right before the shooting and like most of the shooting is like the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There are really only three characters. There's like the killer who is not named, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, Jean-Francois, who is mm-hmm. a male student. And there is Valerie, who is mm-hmm. a female student. And those are sort of like the three who we keep switching between their perspectives and see them through their movie. And Valerie has a friend who is like kind of a character, but that's like really it. It's like very slight. And it's not dialogue heavy at like there's not very much character development or like talk between the characters. It seems very much like day in the life. Yeah, no, this this script was all of five pages. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you really got to praise the Lord for that, because when those dialogue scenes come in, (laughs) those things are nothing but cliches. Yeah, yeah. 
there are like two or three real scenes in this movie and they all are like a scene written by a computer. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was deeply unpleasant to watch, but also like strangely predictable. I don't know. Maybe that's a result of living in a world where like this was 2009 when he made this. The exponential rise in school shootings since then. I don't know. You know what I mean? Is it more of a cliche now than it was then? I'm not sure. Yeah, I was definitely wondering while watching it if it would have felt fresher in 2009. Although when I was looking up the reception, most people were sort of comparing it unfavorably to Elephant, which is the Gus Van Sant movie from 2003, which is like his take on a Columbine movie. Oh, huh. Um, And most people were saying they preferred that to this, at least most of the American reviews. I didn't get to read Hmm. the French Canadian reviews, which obviously the story is closer to. Yeah, because this is based on a real, like we said, the real 1989 mass shooting at the Ecole Polytechnique, which was specifically targeted uh the women students there as well yeah so i guess while we're in this heavy section of the podcast Emmett, do you want to do some cultural context and just tell us a little bit about the real event yeah so in the real event 14 women were murdered by this man who came in and his own things that he said at the time and parts of his suicide note like referred to it as like specifically anti-feminist and like as an attack on on women specifically. And so mm. I think people in Canada very rightly were like, took it as a sign of like an, like a feeling of like a violence towards women, like a societal feeling of that and like scary undertones. And we're like, this is an example of like targeted misogynist violence. And other people in Canada were like, no, how could that be? Definitely just a lone madman, a lone shooter. Mm. That's all it was. It has nothing to do with gender. And that's like the quote unquote controversy, both like of the shooting and like it's the the aftermath of it. This movie depicts one of the characters, one of the survivors commit suicide because of like trauma from the events. That similarly, that is true of two, at least two of the survivors left suicide notes say that like linked, linked the shooting to why they were attempting suicide. So that's uh, like, this is all very heavy, all very horrible and tragic, but I think that Wade's criticism of Maelstrom from last week holds even truer of this movie that it doesn't really have anything to like add to that conversation. It doesn't really like have anything to say about it. And it seems like kind of like that's what you're saying about like none of the real scenes really like mean anything, you know? It's pretty interesting. You said the shooting is sort of like in real time. I don't even know if I know like the right word to describe it, but it's almost done like documentary style. It is seemingly very realistic. Mm -hmm. And it's seemingly sort of just like what you would see if you were there on the day is like what he's trying to do. Yeah. And I wonder if that is because like you were saying this was like a controversial thing and a lot of people Mm. like use this as a springboard for a lot of different causes. I know, for instance, that Canada like massively changed all their gun regulation laws Mm -hmm. after this happened yeah so i wonder if that's why if he's like just trying to present the facts and nothing else Mm -hmm. and that's sort of like where the weird style is coming from i don't know how did how did like the tone of the violence and everything in this strike you isaac you know as you said it doesn't do much to commentate on it It just kind of like shows it the violence does just speak for itself throughout the whole sequence kind of thing the only hopeful tone of the movie is like at the end, there's no real like redemption for any of the characters except for Val uh, there at the end kind of thing where the entire thing is just at the hands of the killer or everyone being upset by that kind of thing. Yeah, it's like, like I said, uh, this movie was heavy and I don't think it tried to be anything other than just like this is how horrible this situation was based on the accounts of those that were there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was shaken watching it. I was just upset the whole like the whole time. It was just deeply unpleasant to watch, but at the same time I was like I don't know that I would recommend lots of people or necessarily like our listeners to watch this, but I would recommend like senators who oppose gun reform law to like watch this. You know, I like people who stand in the like people who continue to allow this sort of thing to happen. Like they should watch this. I'm sure this is the case in like, you know, other movies and stuff. But for me, I 
one of the things I remember most about the movie is just how loud the mm-hmm. gun sound was. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was always mm-hmm. the loudest thing. Like I'm sure you know in other action movies and stuff. Like you know, sure, guns are loud, tanks are tanks are loud, explosions are loud, or whatever. But the gunshot sound in this movie was so much louder than everything else. It's like mm. it's it's almost shocking the first time you hear the gun go off. No, it was like so scary at the beginning when you hear the gun go off. Yeah, when everything's just like normal day in there, and then yeah, the gunshots are like three hundred times louder in the mix. Yeah, I don't know. I was also very. I don't know if shocked is the right word, but like very affected by the violence, but not really by anything else. Like the rest of the movie is very, very slight to me. Like I almost think calling it a movie is like, it's just barely a movie. Mm-hmm. This to me feels like a movie that is made for English class. Like something mm. you would see when you were 16 that would like traumatize you that your parents would have to sign a form for, you know? Yeah, I I know what you mean. So this movie was in English, the version that we saw, but it was also shot in French. Is that right? Yeah. So I knew this was one of his, in his foreign language film, period. And most of my experience, the first like half an hour of watching the movie was being like, am I watching a weird dub? Like, what Mm -hmm. is going on? And eventually I had to pause it and look it up. And they did shoot it, like Denny himself shot it twice in French and in English. Mm. Wow. Like shot every single scene twice. That was not in the hopes of breaking into the USA, but in the hopes of breaking into like the English speaking majority of Canada with this film. And you hear, I mean, you hear it uh, that, you know, he recorded this, you know, twice, both in English and in French. But, you know, I mean, that could have taken all of what, 30 minutes with how short the script is. Yeah, I, well, I wondered that yeah. too. I wondered if that was the reason why so rarely characters talk, and when they do, it's very often you don't see their face yeah. while they're talking. Is just so they could really easily switch the dialogue out. Definitely. I also saw in the credits that uh, Jean Francois and his mom had different voices credited, hmm. even though they are clearly speaking English because the mouths are lining up. I wonder if they just thought the accents were too thick or something. And they both were dubbed, apparently. I will say that uh, Gene, I, I had never seen any of the other actors in this movie, but then I saw, uh, but I did see him. And I was like, is he in an episode of Letterkenny? <laughs> and yeah, he was. <laughs> His name was also Gene in that as well, though. <laughs> his name was like, I don't know if he had an actual name, but his name was like Gene. That's funny. I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, he was. he was good. All right, this movie, Isaac, <laughs> flopper bop. Artistically, a bop. <laughs> Emotionally, a flop. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, like I said, I, I definitely appreciated the visual quality. I thought it was well shot. I liked the, uh, I liked the music. I liked just the uh, overall look of the movie. I appreciated how it being in black and white like just how the blood didn't take away from the violence kind of thing. Like the scary part of the violence, the thing that you should take away, that is the shocking part is, you know, the sound of the gunshot, people like being dead or injured and stuff. I feel like when we have color and we see blood and so often in movies, it's like, oh, this is gruesome. Like, ooh, that's that's gross. The, the visual of blood is, you know, scary in its own way, especially to some. But the fact that, you know, it being shot in black and white, I... One of the takeaways I had was like, maybe that was the intention for it. I don't know. Like I said, artistically, I really enjoyed what this movie did. But yeah, no, it was uh, it was very unnerving to watch. That was the intention for it. Yay. I read that while doing the research. He said like specifically he didn't want to show the blood and that's why he shot the whole thing in black and white. Mm -hmm. Wait, would you say flop or bop? I would say a flop for me. Yeah, I don't know. I was pretty muted on the whole thing. Like... I most of it I just didn't feel any type of way about whatsoever. Uh there was a little bit of stuff that I liked for sure. There was a little bit of stuff that I didn't like and there were a couple of things that I thought were interesting. But the majority of the movie I felt was kind of less than the sum of its parts. Like it's got good acting, it's shot well, it is about a real life story that means a lot to a lot of people. 
And yet it just didn't really come together for me. Mm. I think that it is like pretty formally bold. Like I feel like it is like technically, I mean, it looks like a modern movie. That's one thing, right? Like it looks so much, yeah, so much cleaner than the other two. Yeah. So it felt a lot easier to watch than the other two. But I don't think this is a better movie than August 32nd, personally. No. So I don't know. Emmett flop or bop? For me, it's got to be a flop. It was just deeply like upsetting to watch. Mm-hmm. I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to be there watching it. It's it's like I do think this is well done, like we said, and I think the most interesting part is that like switch in the middle where you go back and see like a bunch of the same act, like the bunch of the same time period over again from a different character perspective. Um, I think that's interesting and like mm-hmm. lends what would otherwise be like really just straightforward misery to like lends it a different sort of edge to it. But the inspection of it isn't deep enough, I feel like. Or like if it's about like how those people react afterwards, then I don't feel like we delved enough into who they were before or even really during or afterwards to like get into, you know what I mean? Like they are barely characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like if you're going to show something that upsetting, I feel like you've got to you've got to back it up with more. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like his thing in this is like just showing it how it was. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the value in that is. Like I'm not I am not saying there's no value in it. I'm legitimately not sure yeah. like what the good point of that is. Yeah. I think Emmett you said it it's trying to be as factual as possible. Like there's no like real resolution because, you know, since that time there really hasn't been there's still been debate over like you know motives and stuff from the actual mm-hmm. killer and so i feel like denny's intention was you know his personal stance on it whereas it was completely hate driven and mm. that's mm. i'm gonna have the killer say it once or like a couple times in the movie where he's like i hate women this is my motive trying to make it as concrete as possible. So there is no debate. This dude just hates women and he's carrying this act of violence out because of this. There's really no other debate about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. At least for me, uh, that's how I felt towards it. And like that's makes its brevity all the easier to stomach, I guess. The brevity of it makes the content easier to stomach. I don't think we could mm-hmm. have gone on for another two and a half hours, you know, kind of thing of, all right, cool, here's this terrible thing that happened here's the characters either before or after having you know some kind of resolution there i feel a pretty similar way about uh midsummer <laughs> where it's like hmm. it's a it's a good movie but it's one good artistically but it's one i don't ever want to really watch again just because of how unnerving it really was a movie i thought about a lot while watching this was fruitvale station i don't know if you've seen that oh, music. god yeah uh, it's Ryan Coogler's first movie. It's with like a young Michael B. Jordan. Hmm. And it's about a, a real man who is killed by the Oakland Police Department. And it's like the 24 hours of his life up until he gets shot. Oh, wow. That, that's a movie that is much better than this one. But in that movie, it is sort of like every single thing that happens is kind of like the perfect thing that will make it so tragic that it's your last day alive. Mm-hmm. Like... Like he gets a good job offer and he sort of turns things around with his girlfriend and he gets shot on the train. And there's like this big scene where his mom is like, maybe don't take the car, maybe take the train, you know, like it's all very dramatically building up to this. And this movie is like the exact opposite where it's sort of like nothing is relevant. (laughs) Like this movie is like an hour and 10 minutes of actual footage and, like, five minutes of that is a character getting dressed in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, it's, it's I mean, almost like an actual documentary. of Just, like, this is what the actual day was like. Yeah. Hmm. Except for these, like, few weird dialogue scenes where it's sort of, like, isn't misogyny bad? And then this, like, really bad scene with this dude and his mom where his mom is just there to be, like, you should come home. Oh, more. man, that scene was... Pretty. Yeah, this the mom scene was. I don't know. It was like it felt like filler. Yeah, he was like, this movie really needs to be an an hour fifteen, not an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I was ready in that middle section. I was like ready to give up on this movie because we start with like the female protagonist, 
Uh-huh. And then it seems that she has been killed. And then we switch to the perspective of the male protagonist. And I was like, I was just pissed. I was like, this was a gender filled killing. And in the movie, we're now going to have like the hero and the villain both be dudes and spend the entire movie on them. Yeah. So I was like ready to give it up. And then in like the last 20 minutes, you find out that the girl is actually alive, which is true. Some of the women who were shot like lived and got out of there. And then we switch back to her perspective. But in that middle section, I was like truly jumping overboard on this one. Wait, do you have a little behind the scenes drama for us on this film? Yeah, I got a little bit. So this movie was really like made by Karen Vanessa, who's the woman who plays Valerie, the main female character in the movie. Mm. She's an actor. She has this sort of interesting thing that I think is maybe kind of relevant to this movie where in the 90s she was on a Canadian TV show that had like very brutal realistic violence and it was very controversial because of that okay for being on TV and as a result of that happening she then became a spokesperson for the Canadian government in like after school specials about like the as as a result of like all the controversy she like started working with the government to do like these specials for under-resourced children to be like hey violence is bad like here's what you can do to make your life better wow so that's where she was coming from she had wanted to make a movie about this historical event forever um and she had spoken to the families of all the women who are killed which is where the vast amount of research for this comes from uh and she was like she remembered denny from back in the day from his two early films because you've kind of got to think that like I don't even know if there is, like, a good touch point for this. But it's like someone wins Best Picture at the Oscars twice for both of their films, and then they never make a movie again. Right? And you're always sort of in the back of your head, like, what are they up to? (laughs) So she approached him and said, would you come out of retirement? I think you, you are the right person to handle this specific movie that I've been wanting to make forever. Mm. So then he talked to the families too, to like make sure it was appropriate. He seemed to be like very careful to his like total credit about everything in this, like the school where it happened, gave them permission to like film it in the rooms where it actually happened. Oh wow! And he was like, no, that's in poor taste. And he shot it at another school. Mm. Yeah. I agree with He that. also shot it, like Isaac was mentioning, in black and white to avoid the blood. And he screened it for all of the families of the victims before it was shown to anyone else to, like, get their permission to release everything in the movie. Jeez. Yeah, and, and we mentioned he shot it twice on screen. And when it came out, it went on to win, again, Best Picture at the Canadian Screen Awards. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's really telling in that dedication that the movie ends with sort of the in memoriam section of the people who really died mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doesn't end with sort of like title cards. Yeah. And I can tell you that this man loves his title cards from the last movies mm-hmm. we've watched. Oh yeah. But it doesn't end with like the, the massacre was read all across the country and led to gun reform and the victims went on to do this, you know, like it very easily could end with that, but it just ends with the in memoriam section. Yeah. And I, yeah, I wrote in my notes, the in memoriam segment is much more effective than the movie. <laughs> makes me feel better about it. I mean, it makes me feel good about him as a director. And like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, like I do think given this material, he did probably the best possible job that you could have done. Like we were saying earlier, like it's slight, but if we had more, it would probably be worse. You know, or just, like, harder to watch, like, harder to get through. I wonder if he felt like you just can't mess this up. Yeah. Like, this is not something that you can take really, like, any chances with. Yeah. We should talk about that, too. It is the most grounded. It's, like, far more grounded and realistic than, like, anything. Mm-hmm. Like, both the like the acting style. Like, you said muted, but I think that's, like, true. It's, like, not just the colors, the tone it's like the acting is like much more naturalistic almost as opposed to the kind of like over the top stuff that some of the actors are doing in the previous two films and the kind of like jerky camera movements and like zany like shifts in locations like zany cuts and stuff we do have the perspective shifting stuff yeah which started in maelstrom and like really ramps up here 
Mm-hmm. One image that sticks out to me uh, was like one of the first cool film cuts that he did was when Val's character is in the uh, bathroom and she's like washing her hands or whatever and she like look, looks in the mirror and has like, I didn't count the amount, but it's like five or six just like cuts of like, okay, cool. We're still looking at a reflection. We're still looking at a reflection. We're still looking at a reflection. Oh, and now we're looking at her face. I was like, that was trippy. Mm, that was so cool. I geeked for that too. That was like, it was really cool. And then um, I don't know where we were at as far as drone technology goes in 2008 or whatever, but some of those upside down uh-huh. shots, I'm like, that was pretty neat looking. Like when mm-hmm. uh, Sean's character was like driving to his mother's house or whatever, and we got that like weird angle shot of him driving down the road and the like ice like falling away from the ocean or whatever like it's pretty sick yeah especially gene's character just seemed like really uncomfortable and i don't know i never really understood him he just came, seemed kind of sad and uncomfortable the entire time hmm. oh and then there was that really gross shot of him like going into like whatever that lounge was oh right i don't know if it was like the teacher's lounge or it was like a house party yeah, and it's or just in like a classroom and there's like a nazi symbol and stuff like in there it's just like what is this i kept waiting for us to come back to him there but i don't think we really did yeah because i think that's probably i think it's implied that that's where he spent the remainder of his time just like with val's character where she spent the remainder of her time until the dude killed himself and the authorities arrived or something she laid there with her friend, you know, like in the blood of everyone until she knew it was safer until they came and got her. Mm-hmm. Jean stayed in that lounge room or whatever until the authorities arrived. It was weird that we had that cut from him in that room to him driving to his mom's house. Yeah. On another note of like things that Denny is on, I think he's obsessed with motherhood. I'm officially saying it. After, like, these three movies, he's even, like, pushing that theme into the the last, like, five minutes of this movie, you know, with about, like, she gets a, she has a pregnancy test, she's gonna have a kid, and, like, the last thing is about, like, what she's gonna teach her children. I, I feel like there's some running theme going on there i definitely think that he is like focused on femininity in a big way in all of his films yeah i feel like that and sort of like violence and perspective are like his obsessions that are coming to the surface from what i've seen yeah here's my question after watching this movie Uh is he like the most brutal after school filmmaker ever are like the lessons that he's ta- teaching with these movies kind of like schoolhouse rock, but he is just like packaging it in the most messed up, full on way possible? I mean, yeah, I guess. What would you say the lessons are? I mean, I feel like both of the last two movies are about women who are in a tough spot who just need to sort of like choose a good reason to live. And certainly the last one has some more interesting political stuff too. Like, I feel like he's kind of like a very wholesome family values filmmaker who is just like packaging it Uh in a really brutal way. I can, I can get with that. I'm just excited to see where it comes in, in the next couple and see if it really, it truly is a running theme or what. I mean, we know the violence is a running theme. That's kind of what the movies are famous for. Yeah. I got to say, I'm a little trepidatious about these next couple. I hope this man can deliver another bop before we get to arrival because we've got like three or four more movies until that happens. What have we got? We've got, uh, incendies Uh and then enemy and Sicario and prisoners, not all Enemy and Prisoners and Sicario. Well, I hear Sicario's a bop anyway. Yeah, but that's like two desert warfare movies, one like house kidnapping movie. Oh my God. <laughs> like, I don't know. I hope that there will be something enjoyable that this man does before arrival. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and if not enjoyable, at least something good. Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like it's been a minute. I kind of wonder to like further my earlier point if he is just like a guy who is so obsessed with how horrible violence is that he uh-huh. has like dedicated his life to just like showing it. He is doing the thing that I have often said that I like and has proven that I really and truly don't like it. I was thinking about you while I was watching this movie, thinking about your like argument for showing realistic violence over stylized violence. Yeah, I think this is like sealed the deal 
I think we should have like a serious conversation about like how much violence we should deal with at all and what uses it's it's put to. Isaac, do you think this movie still works if the violence isn't brutal? Like if it always cuts away whenever and you just hear a gunshot the whole movie, you know? The first shot of like of the movie, like the first gunshot, you know, it is shown off screen. We just see the girls like falling over kind of thing. We don't actually see the gunmen shooting the gun. We just hear the sound and people like booking it. Despite the fact that, you know, we do see the gunmen shoot so many people that it's never like gory. It's always like cool bullet hits character. There's blood where they like lay down and stuff. It's never like Mm -hmm. it's gruesome, but it's not gory. That's something that I did appreciate about it. Um, to answer your question, though, do I think it would have the same effect if the violence was shown off screen? Probably not. But I think that's just because a lot of us are visual people, I guess. Isaac, who would you say is your MVP other than I would guess like we'll count out both those two main protagonists? I can tell you who isn't. Mr. Teacher Man, who is just like, all right, everybody listen to him. <laughs> oh, my like, God. Come on, dog. And it keeps it realistic because the story is like literally any male like teacher just did not help in the story of it. I don't think any of the teachers actually even got injured. It was only students that took the heat. Yeah. The response of it in the movie is like unimaginable. Yeah. And I guess that's the point that this was just like a world where people thought that school shootings weren't real and then they happened and like they didn't know how to respond. Yeah. But like this dude is walking around (laughs) with a gigantic shotgun in like a trash bag. Yeah. And nobody's really noticing. And no one stops him. And then he does this whole thing. There's like 30 students and one dude. And I'm not necessarily saying that like in the moment, I like I know how hard that is in the moment, but there are like 30 people and he's like, the girls stay, the guys leave and like no one challenges him. Nothing. The guys just all leave and then they don't even like scream or pull the fire alarm or run and tell anyone like just school is continuing to go on for like 30 minutes after that happens. That is one of the critiques I saw when I was like reading about this movie is like, why didn't anyone pull a fire alarm? For real. Like literally dude could have walked out like the second. Oh, but uh, MVP. I don't know if there is one for me. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Wade? Uh, yeah, mine is Valerie's friend, mm, mm-hmm. Valerie's Pallery, who I believe is named Stephanie. She's, like, kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. Emma, anyone else? Anyone else even in this movie? Uh, there's the girl who's who's get shot at the printers and who Jean helps, and she has a line in this movie, so she's going to get there we go. Oh, uh, she's kind of, she, yeah. She, like, forgives him. She's like, it's not your fault, like, and tries to, like, forgive him. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Yeah. Let's drop our last thoughts on this movie here, and then we'll (laughs) try and have some fun in the last 15 minutes here. Isaac, any last thoughts? I will say for, like, the first, admittedly, half an hour of this movie, I thought this was at a high school. And I was like, these are are Uh some of the most Mm. 30-year-old looking 17-year-olds I've ever seen. (laughs) <laughs> even for even for a film straight up to where when uh <laughs> before the shooter came in and that one dude was given a presentation i'm like all right cool is he the teacher or is he the student because he could be either in this movie and i'm like oh wait this is at a university so all right now to lighten the mood i have no final thoughts about this movie i don't want to continue <laughs> talking about it i'm i'm just, i'm sorry that i'm such a downer on this one but it's rough i didn't like it it's, it's tough. rough so now I want to put Wade in the hot seat and ask him for the uh, weekly Dune book report. Emmett. Uh-huh. Last night I read the first two chapters. Hell yes! I've done it. Hell yes! All right. I'm like right. 30 pages in. Nice. Nice. Cool. Any Anything to add to that? Yeah, well, first of all, the book is like 700 pages, but I oh. found out that the actual text is only the first 600. Yeah. And the rest is like appendices <laughs> and glossaries and afterwords and stuff like that. Damn. I wasn't expecting it to jump around like between everyone's thoughts in every scene. Uh-huh. Like I was not expecting that writing style, but it's kind of interesting. I'm definitely like majorly helped by knowing the actors and who, oh, yeah. what character they're playing and what they look like. Like if I did not know that, I think I would be having a much worse experience. Yeah, because there's some wild ass names, especially in the first book. And most of the first two chapters is just sort of like proper nouns. Yeah. But I am like 
that's Rebecca Ferguson, that's Oscar Isaac. Like, I know what these characters look like, and that, like, really helps me keep track of it all. So, yeah, I'm excited to read more. Well, sweet. That's awesome. All right, now we are going to play a little round of Bums the Word. The quiz is going to be movies based on real-life tragic events. The quiz. Oh, good. (laughs) Number one. It's a 1993 classic. It is... An extremely popular black and white film. Oh. It has an action star in it. Okay, okay. 1993, black and white, real life with an action star. 93. Is this an 80s action star? No, it's actually a guy who's had his action star career since. Is it Liam Neeson? It is Liam Neeson. Les Mis? What? No, 1993? Okay, I don't know when Liam Neeson's Les Mis was. Oh, was Liam Neeson in Les Mis in the 90s? He's in a movie adaptation of it that's not the musical. It's like an adaptation of the book. I feel like I'm handing it to you to say Liam Neeson, 1993, black and white, classic about real life tragedy. <laughs> I don't know. What am I missing here? What do you get? What do you got, Isaac? I was going to make some kind of taken joke, but it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. The Phantom Menace? Okay. <laughs> so it has it has the guy who played Voldemort in it. Ray Fiennes? Yes. What sort of event is it about? Um, like one of the worst events in modern history. World is it a World War Two movie? Kind of. The English Patient. I might just not know the title of this movie. Okay, so this is a movie about a guy who decides to save a bunch of people by employing them in his factories and save as many people as he can from a really terrible thing that's happening. Well, we're never gonna be able to guess it. Are you kidding me? Schindler's List, dude. <laughs> 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 I mean, this is on me, but I didn't even know Liam Neeson was in Schindler's List. I don't know much about it other than, okay, okay. like, it's a movie everyone should watch and is hard to watch. Well, here we are. Up next, 2004 classic about about another genocide, honestly, but a more recent one. Okay. Is it a Vietnam War movie? It is not. It stars an actor who will later also star in the MCU franchise. Okay. Black Hawk Down? No. Is it a war movie? Uh, essentially. I mean, it's a genocide movie taking place in Africa. Hotel Rwanda? It is, in fact, Hotel Rwanda. Okay. Hmm. Wow. What, what a great game we're playing. <laughs> um, the next movie on this list is 2007. It's uh, based on a famous book. Also oh, true story. The book is Twilight? a true story. <laughs> the book is a true story and the movie is like an adaptation of that book about a young man who like wanted to get out of society the boy in the striped pajamas and then he dies then he dies at the end because he got too far outside of society there's a, a long graphic interaction with a moose there was a graphic interaction with a moose he lives in a van the moose lives in a van okay into the wild into the wild it is into the wild i was gonna say open the next movie is a 1997 classic starring one of the best and also leonardo dicaprio it is about a real life tragedy okay 97 titanic yes (laughs) okay now we're moving through it there we go uh 1967 it's not a tragedy in the traditional sense but the story contains many tragic elements it's about a couple that robbed many local businesses and banks, and their total death count is unknown, but they, it's estimated that they killed nine police officers. Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. Nice. <laughs> All right. This movie is a 2012 film. Concerns the devastating 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and resulting tsunami, also known as the Boxing Day tsunami, that killed nearly 228,000 people. The earthquake was the third largest ever recorded, and it remains one of the deadliest natural natural disasters in human history. Wow. The movie follows one story in particular of a Spanish physician who nearly died in the tsunami. This lady is portrayed by Naomi Watts, and she survives. So it's like a survive survivor movie. The Impossible? Yes. Nate. It is The Impossible. Well, hell yeah. Movie number seven. It's a 2006 movie about... 
the blurb on here says September 11th is tricky territory. And as a result, very few movies have been made surrounding the events of that fateful day. This movie is one of the few and arguably the best. The movie doesn't concern the attack on the twin towers, but the events aboard the flights. I don't know the name of this. Is it flight number? Yes, kind of. Like, is it called like flight 247 or like whatever the name of it is? Yeah, basically it's United 93. Number eight. Um, it's a Steven Spielberg at his most tragic and deci- exciting in 2005. Oh, um, The Adventures of Tintin. <laughs> no. It's a st- true story about in 1972, the Summer Olympics being attacked by a terrorist group, um, resulting in the deaths of 17 people. Munich. Yes, that's correct. Mm. I'm good at this game. You really got the polls tonight, Isaac. It's a film that we talked about earlier on the pod this evening, depicting a real-life tragedy. Um, the film was from 2013. Oh, Fruitvale Station? Yep, hmm. Fruitvale Station. And last, but certainly not least, a movie um, from 2015 based on a movie by the same guy that Into the Wild was based on. Or based on a book by the same yeah. guy that wrote the book that Into the Wild was based on. This movie is about a famous tragedy on a famous mountain. The Revenant? I mean, no. I mean, just toss out the names of some mountains and you'll probably get it. <laughs> Rushmore? Everest? Yes, Everest is correct. You have won the game. Finally, you can put this puppy to bed. That being said, you guys have won the game. Isaac, Yay. thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me again. It's been a true pleasure to have you. Thank you for coming and like... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we go, we have to talk about the House of Gucci trailer. Wait. Did Emmett not watch it? Did you watch it, Emmett? I didn't. I know you said it was required watching, but I had like, I was doing so many other things today. (laughs) Okay, well, you got to pull it up and watch it now. Okay. Everyone at home, pull up the House of Gucci trailer. If you're driving your car, pull over. It's worth Stop it. Stop the car. So this this film that we're about to talk about, this trailer, <laughs> is called House of Gucci. It's by Ridley Scott, the man who brought us Alien and Gladiator. The man is in his mid-80s. He's dropping two movies this year. The other one is um, The Last Duel, which looks kind of like garbage. It's some Matt Damon medieval bummer movie. But then he's dropped the trailer for this House of Gucci. If Disney didn't do Cruella. <laughs> House of Cruella. <laughs> okay, have you seen? So you've now seen the trailer. Yeah, yeah. You, what's your immediate reaction to this, Emmett? <laughs> Dude, oh my god, that looks incredible. It looks like an, a new icon. It looks like the Godfather that we all need, uh, the Godmother, <laughs> if you will. Yes, all of it. And what's more, give us all the details. We want to know, <laughs> based on a true story, of course. <laughs> What was your t- what was your initial reaction to seeing this trailer, Isaac? My initial reaction to seeing the trailer was, <laughs> is Jared Leto okay? <laughs> I feel like he saw Christian Bale on Vice and was like, I bet I can age more and gain more weight than you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's about what it looks like. Let's take it sort of step by step. This is a movie about something to do with Gucci, which is... And a family, mob. I guess, and also a clothing store. <laughs> so you've got Lady Gaga here at the beginning. She looks incredible. She Did she win the Oscar for Star is Born? Probably. I think she did, yeah. I guess she did. It says she did. If she didn't, she did now. <laughs> the, we'll get to that. She looks incredible. She's got an Oscar. She sounds like the Super Mario Bros. <laughs> <laughs> this Italian accent. Hard cut to Adam Driver. Our boy with some gray, some gray in the tips, some sort of fashion design glasses, mm. looking incredible. And then as the trailer goes on, they're they're trying to make us believe there's some sort of plot to this movie. I don't believe it. I don't believe but it at all. <laughs> there's some sort of drama, and there's this large middle-aged balding man who we keep cutting back to, and then. In a plot twist, as the titles roll at the end, you realize that this man is Jared Leto in pounds and pounds of makeup in his most twisted role yet. Oh, God. My question to both of you, is there any way Jared Leto doesn't win Best Supporting Actor 
for this trailer alone. <laughs> Dude, they really got the re-aging makeup technology from Martin Scorsese and applied it all over him. Oh, man. <sighs> Damn, dude. I mean, he's playing a historical figure. Oh, he, you're right. He looks ridiculous. He has this in the bag. Oh, man. Jeez. Do you Ugh. think Leto sort of knows that, like, the court of public opinion has turned against him and realized that he's a big weirdo? And so now he's like, I gotta dress up like this to be in movies. I just hope, I just hope he does another music video with Rick Ross. <laughs> Wait, oh, was he in The Suicide Squad? Yeah. Rick, Ross. Rick Ross did a song called Purple Lamborghini oh, and Jared Leto's in the music video as the Joker just standing there looking intense. I'm like You're you're in a band. Like yeah. you could have done your own song called Purple Lamborghini and it would have been better than your last album and it's just like Oh damn. my god. I don't know, very excited for this. Very excited for this. I just see in the credits that this movie is uh, being produced by Kurt Ascar in a big Oscar play, so maybe oh. we'll hear more about it in the future. <laughs> we might hear more about this film later on. <laughs> Wade just wanted me to let you know uh, that there are 49 more weeks left until Nope comes out, until we get to watch Jordan Peele's Nope. But I'm not sure if that means from when <laughs> we're recording correct. it. That is 49 weeks from the episode where we will talk about Jordan Peele's Nope. Oh, okay, cool. Very excited for that. Uh, very lovely to have you both here. You know, con- continue to stick with us through thick and thin. think there's better things to come on this old Denny trip, I hope. Much love, y'all. We'll talk to you next week when we discuss Denny's film, Incendies. Stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcast. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes this podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.